Imagine training hard for many years to hone skills that you know only a few people master. Your degree in hand, you embark into the working world full of enthusiasm and ready to show what you can do. You receive your first assignment. And it is the most unskilled task one can think of. What a shock. And while some might complain, our special guest today sees each task as an opportunity, an opportunity to prove himself, to build a reputation as a reliable and hard worker, and to set the foundation for a remarkable journey of success. Welcome to the Perpetual Success Podcast, where we chart your path to endless achievements. I'm Ondine D, your host, and I'm giddy to welcome on board on this transformative adventure with you, a very special guest, whose inspiring journey showcases the heart of creating opportunities and crafting one's reputation. Dear listeners, please welcome Ross Reidenauer. He describes himself as an average nuclear engineer with a long career in naval and commercial nuclear power. I know him as a very successful senior executive. Later in life, tired of nuclear power, he pivoted to the real passion of his life, natural health and self-improvement. So through his experiences today, he'll shed light on how he transformed seemingly mundane tasks into stepping stone of success and turned each challenge into an opportunity to excel. How are you, Ross? I'm doing great, Auntie. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having us. This episode is proudly brought to you by Orchestrador, the ultimate technology ally for coaches. Coaching is about people, not endless tech hassles. Ross, as I introduced you to our listeners, I cannot help but be fascinated by your journey in the Navy, where you started as the new guy, taking on the task that nobody else wanted to, or at least without complaining. And it sounds like it was a pivotal chapter that shaped your approach to embracing event as an opportunity. So could you take us back to that time and share with us this memorable experience where you turned an undesirable job into an opportunity for growth? It's a great question, Ondine, and I'd be glad to share that story with you. Many people in the commercial nuclear power industry in my age group, I started out in the United States Nuclear Navy on submarines. Uh, I was an enlisted person initially, and uh, after two years of very difficult training and then two years as an instructor, I finally arrived at my submarine first assignment on what's called a boat. And as the new guy, though, uh, you're not really qualified to do anything on that particular nuclear power plant. So even though you trained for so many years, you're not qualified yet. I was, I was instructing people on how to operate nuclear power plants. Uh, for two years at a, a land-based uh, facility in one of the northern states. So I show up, and I'm a senior enlisted petty officer, but I'm not qualified. So we show up on the submarine, and for the first three weeks before the submarine goes to sea, you're uh, doing all kinds of maintenance and other types of work to prepare to go to sea. So my first assignment with the other new guy was to uh, chip up all of the flooring in the engine room, which was glued down and was very difficult to, to get up. 
my companion had a heat gun and I had a scraper. And for almost three weeks, we were on our hands and knees in the engine room. He would heat up the tile. I would scrape it up. We'd change every now and then. And again, this was not the job I had thought I was going to have when I showed up on the submarine. So but, what was your first reaction when they told you that? Well, I was disappointed, to be honest. I'm like, I'm a highly trained nuclear you know, person, and here I am. I'm going to be scraping tile off the floor for the next two and a half weeks. So I thought that, but at the same time, I thought, okay, I'm new. I'm not qualified. I've got a job to do, and I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. So uh, my friend, whose name was Hubie, and I were on our hands and knees for the next almost three weeks, just scraping up flooring. And uh, of course, all the other qualified uh, nuclear trained people were working on different things in the engine room. And uh, here were they we were. making fun of you a little bit? No, they weren't. But they were just sort of, I'd say, grinning a little bit because here I am as a senior enlisted person and I'm doing this really miserable job. But I didn't complain. And uh, my friend uh, Hubie and I did the best job we could do. So towards the end of the three-week period, we're preparing to go to sea. One of the, uh, I'd say, more experienced and very seasoned enlisted mechanics in the en in the engineering spaces. His name was Dale, and he didn't he didn't say a whole lot during the time, but uh, he came up to me at some point. He just looked at me and he goes, "You know what?" He goes. You do good work. And, and for him to say that, uh, for me, you know, to, to receive a compliment from one of the more senior and respected people in the department meant a lot to me. But my point here is that every job you get, I don't care where you are, whatever stage in life, every job is a noble job, whether it's doing something that takes a lot of experience or a very difficult, miserable job like I had. And you can either complain about it, or you can say, look, I'm going to make the best out of this. I'm going to learn something, but I'm also going to demonstrate what I can do, demonstrate I can do hard work and not very fun work and not complain, and sort of develop my brand that set the stage for my time on that submarine. And after that initial job I was given, I became known as a good worker that didn't complain. And if you wanted something done, you'd go to Ross. He would get it done, he wouldn't complain, and he'd do a good job. So, you know, again, that industry is much different than maybe what your listeners are uh, involved in. But the point is still the same. At some stage in your career, you're probably going to be given a job you really don't want. And you have two choices. You can either complain about it or you can go, you know what? It's a job that has to be done. Um, I can learn something from this assignment, even though it may not be a fun job. But I can demonstrate what I can do to the other people in that company, whether it's fellow ballet dancers or other employees in the company. And so, you know, this whole idea of, I love the quote, every job is a noble job. I don't care if you're emptying trash cans, scraping tile off the floor, or you're a soloist in a world-famous ballet. 
every job is a noble job and you have to approach them all from the same perspective and in the same frame of mind. And if you do that consistently, you'll build your brand and you'll become known for, I think, values and behaviors that you want to become known for. And over time, the, those types of jobs will lead to more responsible, more senior, uh, more uh, challenging positions that uh, you probably want. But everybody has to start somewhere. Everybody, so, yeah. yeah. But even if you, because as you said, it's like no matter where in no matter where in your life, no matter what time in in your career. I know that when you first shared this uh, story with me, you didn't find it very um, insightful. And for me, I love that story on so many levels no. because I mean, like for me, there's so many lessons that we can draw from such a small event which is first of all that well as you said that job has to be done so someone has to do it is it beneath you Nobody that has means, to do it yeah. yeah and if you feel that this is beneath you that means that you believe you're superior to the others and i feel that this is very important right. to realize that that we're all we're all human beings and if that job has to be done then why not you like give me a real reason why not both of us, it wasn't just me, but both of us developed a really, we, we made a deposit, a big deposit in our reputation brand bucket or container. And all of us carry a bucket around with us or a pail or something, but you, you make deposits that improve your reputation by, you know, things you do in your career. And, and I think this is the second lesson that we can draw from this uh, story is that every action that you make, you're building your reputation. You're building Don't, your reputation. Yeah. Because a lot of people, and I've probably done that when I was younger with less experience, we wait for the other to see us in a certain way. However, experience teaches you that you have to show yourself in that way if you want people to believe that this is who you are. Absolutely. So show that you're a reliable, hard worker, that we can give you a task and you'll do it because you understand that you're part of something bigger than you. And then this is how people will see you. And as you said, probably will give you more responsibilities and you will probably get where you want by yeah. having first that behavior. Absolutely. Ross, one of the many reasons I invited you today is because you're also a master NLP trainer. For, for those of you who do not know, um, neurolinguistic programming or NLP for short is it's like a user manual for your mind. It's a powerful toolkit that helps us understand our thoughts, our language, our behavior, and how they're all interconnected and influencing our experiences in life. Of course, it's not magic. It's just actually very simple communication and thought pattern techniques to help us identify our beliefs and our habits especially those that may hold us back and how to replace them with more empowering ones. My question to you, Ross, is um, you have that unique understanding of the power of techniques like reframing or shifting perspectives. And we've learned that technique in episode one. Can you share with uh, our audience how these transformative techniques have helped you see opportunities in challenges turn obstacles into stepping stones? Good, another good question, Undine. Thank you. Uh, yeah, for your uh, listeners, uh, neuro-linguistic programming was first discovered in the 1970s 
and uh, the two uh, PhD level researchers that were uh, that were interested in neurolinguistic programming were evaluating why certain people were so much better at what they did than others, specifically in the area of counseling and, and coaching, uh, social work, that type, that type thing. It was Milton Erickson, a psychiatrist, Fritz Pils, a psychiatrist as well, Virginia Satir, family therapist, and Gregory Batteson, an anthropologist. I remember that they were saying that they identified them as the, the experts for who the clients were not coming back. So they had whatever coaching or counseling time for maybe six yeah. months, and they, they did not come back. Whereas yeah. the others were staying in uh, in therapy for maybe in therapy for 10, months, 15 years. years, and they weren't they weren't uh, addressing their real issues, and they weren't making the internal changes needed to fix whatever they were dealing with. Uh, but the point is that it's been around a long time, and it really I love the phrase you use: user manual for your mind. You know how do we how does our mind work? Not the biology of it, but how do we process information? How do we communicate with others? How do we recognize what they're communicating to us? How do beliefs and values, how do they impact our communication style and our behaviors? So how did it help me? Um, NLP really opened my eyes to the power of communication in terms of how I can more effectively communicate with other people and as you said, it's a user manual for mind. So now I understand better how my mind works in terms of how my mind helps me relate better or more poorly with other people. In the workplace or in, in the personal space? Uh, both. Um, after my initial uh, class, my initial formal training in NLP, I remember going back to my workspace. And this was where you and I were in the United Arab Emirates. And boy, the world just seemed so much different going to a meeting. It was like, whoa, now I'm seeing things in terms of how people are communicating that I didn't see before. So it helped me improve my communication skills tremendously. Did it help you? Because I remember in the, in the UAE, there were people from lots of different culture. Did it help you identify potential misunderstanding and lower the possibility of being misunderstood? Yes. Um, and especially when you're dealing with somebody from a different culture, and typically English is a second language for them, um, the applying NLP techniques to help me understand their preferred communication style, as well as me understanding more their culture, where they came from. Um, I became known over time as a very trusted person. And as you said, I was a senior executive, and I had... Uh, people from that part of the world and the, the Arab world, um, even women come into my office and talk to me very, very uh, seriously about some difficult topics. I had several people uh, that trusted me enough to do that, knowing that I would listen to them. I was doing my very best to understand them. And then I would provide some advice or guidance or maybe some uh, suggestions on how they might address their particular issue. I don't know of any other person from the Western world they did that with. And I attribute that uh, feeling of trust they had with me 
due primarily to my understanding of neurolinguistic programming and my ability to communicate. Do you feel that it helped you see opportunities where other might have seen that it was a challenge or a task that you should just give up with? Absolutely, especially when you're dealing with conflict. Um, conflict or disagreements is where two people, you know, just don't, we call it don't see eye to eye. They're having some kind of disagreement. And you can, using NLP techniques, you can sit there and look at two people that are disagreeing. Let's say you're in a meeting. And you can quickly figure out where the source, what the real source of disagreement is. And a lot of it typically has to do with differences in communication styles and this lack of rapport between you know, one person on one side of the issue and another person on the other side of the issue. Once you know that, a properly worded question to both or either party can quickly bring them into alignment so they can see the person's other point of view that they weren't willing to see before. So NLP just has so many applications in everyday life, and it's personal relationships with you know a friend or a loved one, as well as professional. And um, I highly encourage anyone who is interested at all in self-improvement and, again, uh, given some insight into how your mind works and especially how you can communicate more effectively, I strongly encourage you to take some kind of NLP training. Well, there'll be some there will be some discoveries throughout this podcast anyway, because of course <laughs> I'm also NLP trained, so I I right. am using some of those techniques. Not all of them, of course. I'm just gonna choose the one that I feel are the most applicable to how you chart your path through perpetual success. Ross, in your journey from being the new guy on the boat to becoming the- a successful senior executive. I'm pretty sure that you've encountered challenges and obstacles. How do you find and how do you define the balance between being realistic about obstacles ahead and maintaining an optimistic outlook so that you can see the opportunity? Well, how do you find that balance between reali- realist, really, oh, how can I say that? Being realistic <laughs> and being optimistic. Being realistic about, yeah, um, being realistic. Well, I'll, let's start with optimistic first. Optimist, yeah. optim, being an optimist, uh, to me, is a personal choice you make. And being an optimist means you tend to look on the brighter side of things or the more, more positive side of things. To use the old metaphor about is the glass half full or the glass half empty, and optimistic say the glass is half full. Um, but it's looking, not but, and op- being optimistic also looks for opportunity in places where you may not think there is opportunity. For example, my that first miserable job I had on the submarine. And we've all had miserable jobs. And so looking at that differently from a pessimistic perspective, ooh, that's really not a very nice job. I don't want to do that. Versus well, okay, it's a job nobody wants to do, but somebody has to do it. And if I'm going to do that job, I might as well do the best job I can. So being optimistic is a choice. You tend to look on the brighter side of things, even when things aren't quite going your way, which 
can be a challenge at times, but I tend to look on the bright side of things. Being realistic is simply accepting, again, my definition, accepting what's going on around you or accepting uh, the reality. Let's say if I want to be promoted to a certain position, um, but I look at my skill set and I go, you know, even though I'd love to have that position, I don't have the proper skill set or relationships or network networking context to be in that position. So being realistic is simply looking at what's going on around you and accepting it for what it is instead of making up a story that kind of fits your own belief system and changing that reality into something that works better for you. Uh, being realistic really to me is uh, a lot or all about being honest what's going on and let's be honest with yourself about uh, how do I perceive that is that something um, I like or don't like uh, you know what are some areas of that situation that I can use to help me so uh, optimism, choice, attitude, behavior all the time. Realism, sim realistic is simply accepting what is for what it is and not making up some story about what you want it to be. So if I understand what you're saying is in your view, first you have an honest uh, outlook on things, which is being realistic. Correct. And then you can make the choice to be optimistic and see what you can do with that reality. Perfect. So this whole area of honesty is extremely important to me, uh, being honest with others, but especially being honest with yourself. With yourself. Yeah. And, and many times people simply aren't honest with themselves. And again, I'll, I'll save that for a little later. But con consciously or unconsciously? Oh, this is... <laughs> you have let, to be let, conscious, let, consciously let... honest with yourself. Okay. Yeah. I think, I mean, you and I, we both know, and NLP is probably the training that helps you see it most of us are not doing that on purpose. It's very unconscious. And yeah. this is something we saw in the first episode about reframing our limited beliefs. The hardest part is to actually recognize that you have limiting beliefs. Well, exactly. And, and in order to do that, what do you have to do? You, you have to be honest. And um, again, as you indicated, a lot of these beliefs and values that you have, they're, they reside in your unconscious mind. They're way below your conscious thinking, and yet they direct your behavior far more than you than you give them credit for. Yeah. And so being able to determine what are my values, which is another NLP technique that I, I went through, which was great, and which values are more important to me compared to others. There are some values I have that are extremely important, others that are maybe not so important. And everybody's value... Uh, hierarchy is different and you can change those using NLP techniques. So it's a great journey through self-awareness. Correct. <laughs> I want to try to, 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 to draw some other lessons from this uh, initial story that you shared with us. For me, it seems that you've mastered the art of making your own good luck through preparation and seizing opportunities. And right. I would love to hear your views on the balance between luck and preparation when it comes to opportunities. Because a lot of people talk about you have to make your own good luck to create your opportunities. What does that really mean for you? Another great question. Um, yeah, luck is an interesting word. It seems to imply that fate 
is responsible for the positive outcome I wanted. And in, in some cases, maybe that's true, card games, for example. Um, however, when it comes to uh, livelihood, career choice, being promoted, um, achieving a certain level of financial success, or however you define success, um, luck is more a matter of a really good, uh, smart preparation. Uh, it's a lot of hard work. Um, I think one of our great American philosophers, Mark Twain, said, uh, luck is a funny thing. It seems the harder I work, the luckier I get. Uh, but, you know, for me, I, and I started out in the nuclear industry as the most junior enlisted person in the United States Navy. All I wanted was a good job, and I wanted some good training that would enable me to have a, you know, a decent career uh, in the nuclear power industry. And over time, <clears throat> I ended up being the senior most senior executive, somebody called the chief nuclear officer, at three different companies, which is much in terms of uh, career you know, advancement, that is much higher than I originally thought I could, I could achieve, and yet I did that. What a journey for an average nuclear well, engineer. It is from an average nuclear engineer. And I, I'm, you know, I'm smart enough, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not, you know, Albert Einstein or anything. But the, the well, point is, I, that... I think what we're learning here is not about being so exceptional in so many ways. It's, it's about so what, drawing yeah. your own strength. Well, and it's developing yourself so that you are the best or maybe the most logical choice for a particular promotion. And you position yourself for that by everything you've done before that other person has to make that decision, like develop your brand. I took some risks early on, calculated risks in positions that could have gone very well or maybe not so well. Uh, in my case, I did what was needed to make sure the outcomes were very positive. And that led to more advancement and more recognition and more successes. Um, in my Navy career, I was in the active duty Navy for eight years, but my last year, I was the Atlantic Fleet Sailor of the Year. It was wonderful recognition, and I didn't expect it. It was just because I did a really good job and all the time, and I didn't complain. And uh, I worked really well with my colleagues. They respected me. I respected them. I especially respected the people that I was leading in my division, helped them out to the extent that I could. So I developed a reputation as a really, really good leader that listened carefully to those, his subordinates, uh, took whatever assignment was given, did my very best work, no matter what it was, whether it was a really, really great job or maybe something I didn't want to do. And that, you know, after my active duty time, I ended up in the commercial nuclear industry using those same principles. Take the jobs nobody else wants to do. Hard work, uh, you know, don't complain. I, I took every opportunity I could to educate myself, whether it was commercial nuclear power by getting certain types of operating licenses, as well as reading a lot of books. I, I'm an avid uh, reader and I collect books and I read all the time. I have a question about your passion for learning and personal development. Ah, because good. if I can describe you with one sentence is you're the person who always have a book to recommend for any topic or any question <laughs> you may have. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, books. Uh, I developed a love of books 
when I was a young boy. What are some key lessons that you've gained from your reading adventure that influence your journey through perpetual success? Uh, great question. And let me put books into two general categories. You have books that are there to entertain you. And then you have uh, books that uh, force you to think differently about who you are as a person. They uh, cause you to reflect upon who I am as a human being and, and where am I going and how do I how am I going to get there? And so the books that had the most impact on me were the ones that caused me to pause and reflect on my life and more importantly, caused me to think about where do I want to go in the future and how do I get there? Um, several that stand out to me. Um, one of them is called Seth Speaks, which uh, caused me to think about how important it is for me to control my thoughts because your thoughts determine your reality. And he said, you create the reality around you based upon the quality of your thoughts. If you're having positive outcomes and lots of successes, it's a direct result from how you're thinking. So if you control your thoughts and think more positive things and visualize about the future you want, your brain will eventually make those things come true for you as long as you consistently reinforce that thinking. That's interesting. Something we saw in episode two, I think. I was mentioning the book Seven um, Lessons, Seven and a Half Lessons About the Brain by Lisa Feldman Barrett, which I think right. you recommended to me. Right. <laughs> and <I did. laughs> and um, she has this. Uh, novel view about neuroscience she's a neuroscientist and yeah. uh, she has that novel view that your thought as you said influence your perception of the environment and then you trigger a vicious or a virtuous circle that Correct. you are always looking for a confirmation that you are thinking right Correct. And there's many books written on that. One of my favorites is called uh, Mind Over Medicine, where people have miraculously healed themselves from serious diseases just by altering their thoughts. Which and is also discussing the biology of belief, another book you by, recommended and that's to me. <laughs> book I was going to mention by Dr. Bruce Limpton, The Biology of Belief. Your, your mind communicates with all 37.2 trillion cells in your body all the time. And your cells respond to what your mind is thinking. The most recent science actually showing that that... Um, that the, the brain is not the central command of decisions right. because it would be too impossible for an entire body to always have the information going back to the brain and, and down to whatever cell. So the common system is actually very much delegated. So it's spread across the body. And so a right. lot of research is really going into that direction that um, the brain function is much, much different than what we've thought traditionally last century. You mentioned earlier on that you took calculated risks throughout your career. And I actually wanted to discuss that part. Um, as you're going through the ranks of management or any kind of promotion, sometimes it's not upwards, it can be a horizontal promotion. Um, how did you navigate the moment of self-doubt or the moment of fear that may arise when you're taking a risk or when you're pursuing new opportunities? 
Um, evaluating risk, of course, is more art than science, uh, even though there are risk management professionals in many I've, industries. I've been one. <laughs> You've been one, I know that. Um, and yet it really is more art than science. And um, you look at an opportunity and determine, number one, you know, what's the benefit? You know, if I am successful and I took that opportunity and I am successful, what, what is the long, short-term and long-term benefit? Um, and then I would also do my very best to assess the risk uh, involved with that a particular opportunity. In most cases, the perceived risk is not the same as the real risk. So we're going back to realistically assessing. You know, I have my own risk uh, assessment scale. And so I would look at a particular opportunity and determine, okay, number one, do I have the skill set to do that particular task? Yes. Um, if I did, what's the likelihood of a positive in outcome? Okay, well, it's really high or maybe average. Um, and then, you know, what's the risk if I'm not successful? What's the worst thing that can happen? Well, in most cases, it really isn't that bad. Um, so, you know, you'll have to determine what is your um, appetite for risk. Everybody's is different. So by appetite, you mean like how much you're willing to How much are you, will risk are you willing to accept? Exactly. There's no good or bad there. It's just whatever your scale is. But, you know, be realistic about the risk, not... Don't listen to everybody else. They're going to tell you things. So do that, your own assessment. Do your own assessment. It's interesting you said that because in my experience, what I noticed is that the, the way that you perceive the risk completely changed just by doing that work of honestly assessing it. And suddenly Correct. everything is less, uh, less, less of a problem than it, than it was before you thought about it. But the, the whole issue of risk is everybody has their own risk willingness scale. And then be honest, I mean, ruthlessly honest about assessing the risk. Look at it objectively, determine what the risk is, what's my skill set, what's my likelihood of a positive outcome, and then balance the equation. And if it's in your favor, go ahead and accept the position. So you have a very practical and tangible approach to your fears. You basically Correct. go on the drawing board and just assess the situation. Correct. You know, I love things being practical. And I wanted to ask you a question to make it very tangible and practical for our listeners. You've had a remarkable journey, a remarkable career that took you maybe everywhere around the world, if not almost everywhere. For many of our listeners who are eager to open new doors and create opportunities, because I mean, if they're listening to the Perpetual Suicide Podcast, that's because they want to tap into that level of opportunity. What are to you some of the most valuable tips that you can share about networking and cultivating genuine relationship that can lead to extraordinary opportunities. Many people believe that the bigger my network, the better my network. And I have a different view of that. Um, it's not about the size of your network, meaning do you have 50 people in your, your close friend network? It's the quality. You know, I want to make sure your listeners understand me. I'm not saying don't have a lot of people that you know. You have lots of friends. That's great. 
Well, how many of those friends are friends that you absolutely, without question, know would help you? No questions asked if you have them, if you if you ask them. Um, and maybe so it's, it's about every, assessing the quality of yeah, your network. It's maybe everybody in your network, but it might only be a relatively small number of people. So, and networks are extremely powerful. They open doors. They help you through those rough spots in life. Uh, they do uh, networks do many many things for you. And so, having a small group of people with when I say quality, high quality people in your very close uh, network is is really important. And what do you think is the secret? The secret? <laughs> this is going to sound a little bit odd, but you have to love your friends. Love yourself first and love your friends. And this is what I mean by that. There's a you know, The Greeks had a very, very uh, great way of looking at this whole concept of love. And they actually had four words that they used to describe different types of love. First one was storge, which is love for family. And then you have philos, which is brotherly love or love for your friends and close acquaintances. Okay. Eros, you know, sexual love. The last one is the one I want to focus on, and that's called agape love. And agape love is different because it's behaviors. Things like honesty, kindness, forgiveness, uh, courtesy. Um, saying please and thank you, um, you know, going out of your way to help someone, being helpful. I mean, all of these are behaviors that describe, again, from the Greek's perspective, something called agape love. So if you practice agape love with yourself, meaning am I kind to myself? Am I honest? Do I forgive myself for things I've done that maybe I shouldn't have done? Do I celebrate my success? I mean, all of those things are behaviors. So love yourself first from an agape perspective, and then practice that type of love with your friends, people in your close network. And you can develop those close relationships that will bring people naturally into that close personal network that you want, the quality piece that I talked about earlier. Did I hear you right? You said love yourself first. Yes. You will not be successful in life unless you love yourself first. You love your things you do well. You love your flaws. You love the fact that you are a work in progress and you're never, ever going to be fully developed. Uh, but you can't um, be successful unless you have this deep faith and belief in your own value as a human being. But I love myself unconditionally in spite of my flaws. I know I have a lot of skills, but I'm humble. I, I can do lots of things. I help people. I love animals. I mean, you know, there's lots of facets or aspects to my behavior, but I love all of them. And that becomes the foundation that I've used to build my career and my life. And I'm not done yet. So, of course you're not done yet. There's so I'm, much more I'm, coming there's up. There's so much more. That's, you know what? I love this message so much that I think I want to close out on this because I know you and I, we can talk for hours, maybe days, maybe weeks, <laughs> <That's true. laughs> probably forget to eat and keep talking. We can always invite you for another, for another one. I have a special mission for my listeners. If you found value in today's episode, share this podcast with your friends, with your relative, anyone whom you believe would benefit from the perpetual success mindset. Let's spread the message together of empowerment and transformation. We can chart the path for perpetual success together.
Ross, I want to thank you again for this delightful and insightful conversation about this seemingly uninteresting story that you shared with me, I remember a couple of months ago, and you really thought that was the most uninsightful conversation. And I've kept I going did. back to, I've kept going back to that story, because again, I think there's so many layers of lessons that we can draw yeah. from. For me, I mean, what did I learn from that? Uh, what I what I thought at the time was a relatively unimportant experience, but I learned a lot from that. I learned the value of humility. Again, you said it. I'm not above that job. The job had to be done. I learned the value of sticking to something or perseverance. I learned the value of hard work. I learned the value of not complaining and just get it done. Thank you so much, Ross. Well, Dean, thank you again for having me. And to your listeners, I would say if I can do this and I can be as successful as I've, I've been in my career, then I'm absolutely certain all of your listeners could do the same thing. Build your brand. What is your brand? Ask yourself that. What do I stand for? When people look at me, what do they see? You know, do an honest assessment. And then if you have some areas you need to be a little stronger in, okay, work on those. Maintain your strong areas. But again, if 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 I can do if I can get to where I was in my career, then I'm absolutely everybody can do it because you are an average nuclear that. engineer. Average nuclear engineer. <laughs> As you know, Perpetual Success is a growing community, so feel free to reach out to Ross Reidenauer directly through his website, which is mindbodyhh.com. Remember, success is not a destination. It is a daily journey. Next week, we will talk about nurturing self-awareness, the importance of understanding oneself for perpetual success. Thank you, Ross, for sharing your wisdom and your insight with us today. One last thing, this podcast is for you, so you can send me a request for a topic of your liking by submitting the podcast request on my website, perpetualsuccess.coach. Chart your path with your compass to remain in perpetual success today and every day. Until next time.